0: Chapter Four, Part One of Knots Untied by J. C. Ryle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Four: The Thirty Nine Articles, Part One. I must begin this paper with an apology. My subject may seem at first sight dry, dull, and uninteresting, but I ask my readers to believe that it is not so in reality there are few points about which it is so important for english churchmen to have clear and correct views as about the nature position and authority of the thirty-nine articles marriage settlements and wills are not very lively reading like all carefully drawn legal documents they are extremely unattractive to general readers the language seems cramped and old-fashioned the amount of verbiage and circumlocution in them appears positively astounding yet none but a child or fool would ever dare to say that wills and marriage settlements are of no use. The happiness of whole families often turns upon the meaning of their contents. It is even so with the Thirty-Nine Articles. Dry, and dull, and uninteresting as they may appear to some, they are in one sense the backbone of the Church of England. Surely some knowledge of them ought to be sought after by every sensible and intelligent member of our Communion. Who is the true churchman? That is a question which is shaking the established Church of England to the very centre, and will shake it a good deal more, I suspect, before the end of the world comes. It is becoming a very large and serious question, and one which imperatively demands an answer. It is not enough to say that everybody who goes to church is a true churchman. That reply, I think, will content nobody. There are scores of people occupying our pews and benches every Sunday who know nothing whatever about religion they could not tell you if life depended on it what they believe or don't believe hold or don't hold think or don't think about any doctrine of christianity they are totally in the dark about the whole subject politics they know and business they know and science perhaps they know and possibly they know something about the amusements of this world but as to the composition of a true churchman's creed they can tell you nothing whatever they go to church on sundays and that is all Surely this will never do. Ignorance, complete ignorance, can never be the qualification of a true churchman. But perhaps it is enough to say that everybody who goes to church and is zealous and earnest in his religion is a true churchman. That is a very wide question and opens up an entirely new line of thought. But I fear it will not land us in any satisfactory conclusion. Earnestness is the attribute of men of the most opposite and contradictory creeds earnestness is the character of religionists who are as wide apart as black and white, light and darkness, bitter and sweet, hot and cold. You see it outside the Church of England. The Mohammedans who overran the rotten churches of Africa and Western Asia, crying, the Koran or the sword, the Hindu Fakir who stands on one leg for twenty years or throws himself under the car of juggernaut, the Jesuit who saps and mines and compasses sea and land to make one proselyte, The Mormonite, who crosses half the globe to die in the Salt Lake City, and calls Joe Smith a prophet. All these undeniably were and are earnest men. You see it inside the Church of England at this very day. The ritualist, the rationalist, the evangelical, all are in earnest. Mr. McNokey and Dr. McNeil, Dean Stanley and Archdeacon Denison, Mr. Bennett of Frome and Mr. Daniel Wilson of London, all are, or were during their lives, unquestionably earnest men. Yet everyone knows that their differences are grave, wide, deep, and irreconcilable. Surely this will never do. Earnestness alone is no proof that a man is a true churchman. The devil is in earnest. Infidels are in earnest. Deists are in earnest. Socinians are in earnest. Papists are in earnest, Pharisees were in earnest, Sadducees were in earnest. Earnestness alone proves nothing more than this, that a man has a good deal of steam and energy and go about him, and will not go to sleep. But it certainly does not prove that a man is a true churchman. What is the man earnest about? This is the question that ought to be asked, and deserves to be answered. Once for all, I must protest against the modern notion that it does not matter the least what religious opinions a man holds, so long as he is in earnest about them. That one creed is just as good as another, and that all earnest men will somehow or other at last find themselves in heaven. I cannot hold such an opinion, so long as I believe that the Bible is a revelation from God. I would extend to everyone the widest liberty and toleration, I abhor the idea of persecuting any one for his opinions, I would think and let think. But so long as I have breath in my body, I shall always contend that there is such a thing as revealed truth, that men may find out what truth is if they will honestly seek for it, and that mere earnestness and zeal, without scriptural knowledge, will never give any one comfort in life, peace in death, or boldness in the day of judgment. But how are we to find out who is the true churchman? Someone will ask me. Men complain with good reason that they feel puzzled, perplexed, embarrassed, bewildered, posed and mystified by the question. Rationalists, ritualists, and evangelicals all call themselves churchmen. Who is right? The name churchman is bandied about from side to side like a shuttlecock, and men lay claim to it who on many points are diametrically opposed to one another. Now how are we to settle the question? What are we to believe? What are we to think? How shall we distinguish the good coin from the bad? In one word, is there any test, any legal, authorized test of a true churchman? My answer to all these inquiries is short, plain, and most decided. I assert confidently that the Church of England has provided a test of true churchmanship, and one that is recognized by the law of the land. This test is to be found in the 39 Articles of Religion. I say, furthermore, that the 39 Articles of Religion form a test which any plain man can easily understand if he will only give his mind to a study of them. An honest examination of these Articles will show any one at this day who is the best, the truest, the most genuine style of churchman. To exhibit the authority, nature, and characteristics of the 39 Articles, is the simple object for which I send forth the paper which is now in the reader's hands. 1. Now, first of all, what are the 39 articles? This is a question which many will be ready to ask, and one to which it is absolutely necessary to return an answer. It is a melancholy fact, explain it as we may, that for the last two hundred years the articles have fallen into great and undeserved neglect. Thousands and myriads of churchmen, I am fully persuaded, have never read them, never even looked at them, and of course know nothing whatever of their contents. I make no apology, therefore, for beginning with that which every churchman ought to know. I will briefly state what the thirty-nine articles are. The thirty-nine articles are a brief and condensed statement, under thirty-nine heads or propositions, of what the Church of England regards as the chief doctrines which her chief members ought to hold and believe. They were, most of them, gathered by our reformers out of holy scripture they were carefully packed up and summarized in the most accurate and precise language of which every word was delicately weighed and had a special meaning some of the articles are positive and declare directly what the church of england regards as biblical truth and worthy of belief some of them are negative and declare what the church of england considers erroneous and unworthy of credence some few of them are simple statements of the church's judgment on points which were somewhat controverted even among Protestants three hundred years ago, and on which churchmen might need an expression of opinion. Such is the document commonly called the Thirty-Nine Articles, and all who wish to read it will find it at the end of every properly printed prayer-book. At all events, any prayer-book which does not contain the articles is a most imperfect, mutilated, and barely honest copy of the liturgy. When and by whom were these articles first drawn up? They were first composed by our reformers in the days of that admirable young king, Edward the Sixth, Who had the chief hand in the work history does not reveal? But there is every reason to believe that Cramner and Ridley, our two most learned martyrs, had more to do with it than any. When first sent forth there were forty-two in number. Afterwards, when Queen Elizabeth came to the throne, they were reduced by Archbishop Parker and his helpers, of whom Bishop Jewell was probably the chief, to their present number, with a few unimportant alterations. They were finally confirmed and ratified by Crown, Convocation and Parliament in the year 1571, and from 1571 down to this day not a single word in them has been altered. The object for which the articles were drawn up is clearly stated in the title of them, which any one will find in a proper prayer-book. They are called, Articles agreed upon by the archbishops and bishops of both provinces, and the whole clergy, in the Convocation Holden at London in the year 1562, for avoiding diversities of opinion, and for the establishment of consent touching true religion. About the real, plain, honest meaning of this title, I think there ought to be no doubt. It proves that the Thirty-Nine Articles are intended to be the Church of England's Confession of Faith. Every well-organized Church throughout Christendom has its Confession of Faith, that is, it has a carefully composed statement of the main things in religion which it considers its members ought to believe. Every reading man knows this. The Augsburg Confession, the Creed of Pope Pius Fourth, the Decrees of the Council of Trent, the Westminster Confession are documents with which every student of ecclesiastical history is familiar. Common sense shows the necessity and convenience of such confessions. In a fallen world, like this, the terms of membership in any ecclesiastical corporation must be written down in black and white, or else the whole body is liable to fall into disorder and confusion. Every member of a church ought to be able to render a reason of his membership, and to say what are the great principles of his church. To do this his Church supplies him with a short creed, manual, or confession, to which at any time he may refer inquirers. This was the object of the Thirty-Nine Articles of the Church of England. They were intended to be the churchman's confession of his faith. The substance of the Thirty-Nine Articles is a point on which I shall say but little at present, because I propose to dwell on it by and by. Let it suffice to say that they contain most admirable, terse, clear statements of scriptural truth. According to the judgment of our Reformers, on almost every point in the Christian religion, the titles speak for themselves. A Table of the Articles 1. Of Faith in the Holy Trinity 2. Of Christ the Son of God 3. Of His Going down into Hell 4. Of His Resurrection 5. Of the Holy Ghost 6. Of the Sufficiency of the Scripture 7. Of the Old Testament Eight of the three creeds nine of original or birth sin ten of free will eleven of justification twelve of good works thirteen of works before justification fourteen of works of supererogation fifteen of christ alone without sin sixteen of sin after baptism 17. Of predestination and election 18. Of obtaining salvation by Christ 19. Of the Church 20. Of the authority of the Church 21. Of the authority of the General Councils 22. Of purgatory 23. Of ministering in the congregation 24. Of speaking in the congregation 25. Of the sacraments 26. Of the unworthiness of ministers 27. Of baptism 28. Of the Lord's Supper 29. Of the wicked which eat not the body of Christ 30. Of both kinds 31. Of Christ's one oblation 32. Of the marriage of priests 33. Of excommunicate persons 34 of the traditions of the church 35 of homilies 36 of consecrating of ministers 37 of civil magistrates 38 of christian men's goods 39 of a christian man's oath some of these points are handled in a more firm strong and decided manner than others and the curiously different tone of the articles, according to their subject matter, is a matter on which I shall have more to say by and by. But taking them for all in all, as a church's statement of things to be believed, I think that no church on earth has a better confession of faith than the Church of England. I have no wish to find fault with other churches, God forbid. We have faults and defects enough to keep us humble within the Anglican Communion. But after carefully examining other confessions of faith— I find none which seem comparable to our own. Some confessions are too long, some go into particulars too much, some define what had better be left undefined, and shut up sharply what had better be left a little open. For a combination of fullness, boldness, clearness, brevity, moderation, and wisdom, I find no confession which comes near the thirty-nine articles of the Church of England. Footnote. The famous historian, Bigham, in his curious book on the French Protestant Church, quotes a remarkable testimony to the articles from the French divine, Lemoyne, a man of great note in his day. No confession can be contrived more wisely than the English is, and the articles of faith were never collected with a more just and reasonable discretion. Bingham's Works, Oxford Edition, volume 10, page 95. and a footnote so much for what we mean when we talk of the thirty-nine articles. For dwelling so much on the point I shall make little apology. The intrinsic importance of it, and the singular ignorance of most churchmen about it, are my best excuse. The times we live in make it imperatively necessary to look up and ventilate these old questions. The perilous position of the Church of England requires all her sons to spread light and information. He that would know what a true churchman is must be content to begin by finding out what is meant by the 39 articles end of chapter 4 part 1